This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Deborah Yao, a senior editor here at Knowledge at Wharton, and it is my pleasure to introduce our guest for today, Saikat Chaudhry, who is the executive director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management at Wharton. He's here to talk about his research on the blockchain, and he goes beyond the hype to help companies determine whether or not they should adopt this technology. The research paper is called Making Sense of Blockchain, How Firms Can Start a Strategic Path Forward. Welcome to Knowledge of Wharton, Saikat. It's great to be here, Deborah. Thank you for having me. The blockchain is garnering tremendous interest in business circles. Can you tell me why people are so excited about it? Yes, I mean, there's a lot of, I dare say, hype around it, uh, but uh, the excitement comes from the fact that the blockchain technology promises to really revolutionize how we conduct any kind of transactions, be they financial or otherwise, to make it much more efficient and perhaps much more effective. And that applies to the banking system, tracking of goods and services, interactions between suppliers and vendors, any kind of transaction you can think of. So what is the relationship between blockchain and the Bitcoin? Uh, one of the com- most common misconceptions is they're, they're about the same. They're the same thing, are they? Yeah, they're absolutely not. Um, there is a relationship, though, which is that Bitcoin uses the blockchain technology. So the blockchain technology, as I mentioned, facilitates these transactions. It's basically a ledger, and we can talk about that uh, a little bit later as well and what exactly the technology is. But Bitcoin was one of the first applications of blockchain technology. So as you know, it's a digital a cryptocurrency. And so people synonymize both of them, even though actually they're not the same thing. Bitcoin just happens to be something that uses blockchain. Unfortunately, also, Bitcoin doesn't always have positive connotations beyond the movements in the market, which have been negative as of late. I think Bitcoin has been adopted by oftentimes, for instance, the underworld in order to conduct transactions because it's a currency that can be used by people who want to be outside of the uh, tracking of the usual financial transactions. So it's been convenient for them. So it's one application. Well, I know this might get technical, but in layman's terms, can you explain how blockchain works? Absolutely. I'll try my best, you know, but I, I part of the reason I did this work uh, is because I wanted to actually uh, make it a little bit more accessible. So think of blockchain as a distributed, a shared ledger. So that's really all it is. In other words, you can see what transactions are being made and when and what they're all about. You know, that's basically what blockchain is. It's just a shared record-keeping device for transactions. Now, it has a few attractive features associated with it. One is that it's very transparent. So all parties who are part of a transaction, they can see the transaction simultaneously. Uh, Think of collaborating on Google Docs, for example. It's a version, uh, one way to think about it is that, even though it's a bit more sophisticated than that. The other piece of it is it's almost uneditable, so people can't manipulate that. Now, what does that mean? Think about it. Any transaction you do, all the parties that are involved, they can all see it. Uh, Let's say you're transferring money from point A to point B. Oftentimes what you have nowadays is you've got the SWIFT network, 
which is on the back end. So you send some money, a whole bunch of different intermediaries really confirm that you have the money and it gets transferred from one place to another. And then eventually your money arrives at the place that you need. That's also why even though we have cool applications now, for instance, to deposit checks, it still takes a few days for the actual checks to clear. With blockchain, what happens is you essentially can see the transaction simultaneously by all parties. So the transaction can be conducted instantaneously or near instantaneously. Everybody can just adjust their accounts. Now, the way it works is that the data is recorded once and you can't really change that data, but all pieces of data that are associated with the transaction, they're locked together in a chain, hence the name. What you can see happening with that that's very attractive is you can automate certain transactions as well. We call that a smart contract, essentially. So if I'm Microsoft and I have licenses, let's say, for my software given to different companies, you don't need someone to verify what are the different applications you have the rights to or how many machines have access to that. That can all be done by a machine. It can essentially verify all those things and you can automatically conduct those transactions. That's really what the whole thing is about. And of course, everything has a timestamp associated with it, too. That actually sounds very disruptive. Can you give us some examples of actual business cases where uh, companies have used blockchain? Yes. Um, you'll see them in a variety of different uh, areas. But, for instance, a cool one that I recently saw is that in India, in Calcutta, in the state of West Bengal, the first birth certificate was recently recorded uh, in December using blockchain technology where record keeping is now much more transparent. People can't manipulate those records in any way. And all the information will be there for everyone to see. Uh, closer to home, what you observe is companies using it in their supply chain. So retail companies, for instance, what they do is if they have a whole bunch of suppliers, normally to do transactions, payments, etc., you know, you send some paperwork, you send some money, it gets verified along the process somehow. Now, with different parties in the mix, what you can do in that ecosystem is, you know, these companies just say, okay, we trust you guys. We know you guys. So we can just automate, the, automate these transactions. When you send us something, we won't look so closely. Uh, perhaps a, a cool example that you might like is in the world of Spotify and thinking about music. So music distribution now works in the way where it's easy for us as consumers to download different kinds of music very easily. But the way that the artist gets compensated is actually fairly cumbersome. So at the end of, let's say, a quarter or any kind of period of that sort, somebody tracks how many times a song has been downloaded, and then a check goes to these uh, different uh, artists. Now, if you use a blockchain technology where you can see the transactions coupled with the smart contract idea that I talked about, immediately, near immediately, when a song is downloaded, the actual artist can receive their payment. So some of the uh, song companies or the media uh, companies that are offering songs on download are using this technology. Your paper also goes beyond the hype here. And you also say that the blockchain may not be for every company. Um, can you explain that a bit more? Yes. Uh, so blockchain is an attractive technology in general, which can help speed up transactions and make them efficient. But there are a number of challenges associated with it that we haven't quite found answers to. 
For one, for instance, you know, the financial impact is a little bit unclear. You have to invest in infrastructure, for instance, right? Um, engaging the impact is also very, very hard. Another aspect, though, is that certain parties could get disintermediated. So look at the role of banks, for instance. Banks are players who essentially have roles as intermediaries in a transaction. They could get disrupted, so they'll definitely resist. Think about the role of lawyers for providing, say, uh, notary services, right? Those notarial services may no longer be required if you can automatically conduct transactions between different parties. That's one piece of it. There's a technological aspect because the technology needs to be refined. Um, we actually don't have any standards right now for blockchain, even though we've got Ethereum and others trying to promote their standard. We don't have that at the moment. Then you've got the issue of legacy infrastructure and trying to upgrade all kinds of infrastructure at the companies to handle these kinds of transactions. As you know, everyone has big systems and companies that are there, and it would require a huge amount of investment even after deciding on a technology. Those are sort of the financial and technical angles. Then there are organizational and regulatory ones. You know, on the organizational side, you've got teams that have to really be brought on board. Your business models might change. And then where do you get the talent from? It's a new technology. And then regulatorily, it's just not clear who will adopt what. And I can talk a bit more about that if you want. Sure. Um, please go on. So on the regulatory side, beyond the financial, the technical, and organizational aspects, there are a lot of hesitations. And the reason is that you can imagine after the financial crisis that took place about a decade ago now, the in general, regulators are very hesitant to move to new technologies to accelerate transactions, especially in the banking world. So I was talking to the uh, head of one of the feds in um, this also close to Wharton, and I, I wanted to really ask him, so what are you guys doing? How do you guys feel about adopting this technology? And he was indicating to me, you know, we're very hesitant. The reason is that if all of a sudden we allow transactions to take place decentrally, because that's one of the facets of blockchain technology where there's no one intermediary who really looks over it, but it's out there somewhere, right? Then what if people manipulate that? How can we intervene? What can we do? So I understand their hesitation on that front. At the same time, there's an interesting thought experiment, which is that perhaps you could argue that the financial crisis was actually partly caused by power being concentrated too much in a handful of intermediaries, and maybe maybe if we democratize the whole system a little bit, then it could be a little bit more open. But certainly that's a, a question that has to be resolved. Where I can imagine technologies like blockchain being adopted more quickly is in some emerging markets, such as China or India or Africa, as we're actually seeing. The reason is, even though they may also perceive some of the risks that the uh, chairman of one of the feds here articulated, they also have a financial inclusion problem. In other words, if you were to roll out the traditional banking infrastructure, it'd be very expensive, right? So they can leapfrog to a technology that facilitates transactions, whether it's banking or, for instance, real estate and property transactions, all kinds of things to happen in a much more expeditious fashion. So there's a different reward potential there as well. So if you look, for instance, in China in some areas, they have so-called sandboxes where they relax the rules, and people can use technologies like blockchain to do transactions, even things like giving loans to each other through apps that will allow direct peer-to-peer -peer types of payments at very high levels, utilizing technologies like blockchain in order to track the transactions. One of the things that I really like in your paper 
is that it presents a roadmap for firms that might be thinking ab- about adopting the blockchain. So can you go through that for us a little bit? Absolutely. And we we sought to be provocative uh, in this uh, white paper. By the way, I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but it's better late than never. I do want to give credit to co-authors here. So we had a wonderful group of students named Jitin Jain, Abhinav Pratik, as well as Nathan Rush, who are now alumni or current students who worked on this. And they were the founders of the Penn Blockchain Club as well, which the Mac Institute supported. And also Pragna Kohli, who is the associate director of the Mac Institute, one of the two. And she was part of it. So it is a team effort. But um, I, I wanted to give credit to them. The ideas here uh, are really intended to provoke a little bit of discussion. We hear a lot about the technical sides and the hype around this, and we wanted to put a bit of structure on it. So one of the questions that we wanted to ask is, do you need blockchain as a solution now? Now, of course, at some point in time, if there's a better technology, blockchain or otherwise, to enable transactions to be more efficient and effective, of course, everybody will go to it. But at this juncture, with all the challenges and the uncertainties that I outlined earlier, right, the question is one of timing. Do I need it now or not? So we thought long and hard and, and went to different parties and thought, all right, so where do we see adoption? Where do we not see adoption? Where does it make sense? Where doesn't it? And we came up with two parameters. One parameter that we looked at is, is there a sufficient inter-party transaction base in terms of the number of transactions, the number of parties involved, and perhaps risk of non-compliance, right? That's one parameter. And the second is, is the infrastructure ready in terms of scalability and privacy? So if you look at these two parameters, we've got a nice two by two, and the question becomes, who needs blockchain now? Uh, and uh, who doesn't need it now? And then are they in a position to actually adopt it at the moment? So if you look at certain places, you know, where you have supply chain functions, where a lot of vendors interact with each other, for instance, right? Uh, that's a case where you've got a lot of infrastructure, a lot of parties, a lot of contracts that need to be enforced. So think about that as the infrastructure is ready, as well as a lot of a high base of these uh, transactions that need to occur. If you look at an Amazon, for instance, right, or any major industrial company, a Cisco, anybody who's out there who needs to work with their supply chain and huge ecosystems, it's a very natural case to say, make it more efficient. The reason it's also a little bit safer there is because the parties actually know each other. So there are those concerns that the Philly Fed chairman, I know, said it, uh, articulated to me, are not as prominent because parties know each other, right? On the other hand, if you look at small vendors, uh, mom and pop stores and other places, right, they may have a lot of uh, different customers, um, but they also may have a small number of customers and they certainly don't have the infrastructure, so it's not going to be um, as uh, useful. The interesting category, though, is in places where you've got a huge number of transactions, but the infrastructure might not be ready. So think about the stock markets, for instance, right? There, you need to ensure scalability, but also privacy and absolute security and establish that first. So even though they're handling so many transactions, and at some point it makes sense to move to a technology like that, it's not quite there yet, you know? And uh, non-supply chain functions, even by big companies, don't need it either. So that's one important question to ask. Do I need it at all? Once I've established that, then I can move on to, well, where do I use it? 
And uh, I think, like with most technologies nowadays, we have this temptation to get very, very excited about all kinds of applications. But the key is, what are my use cases? So is it that in my procurement function, for instance, that's where I want to have it? Or if I'm Johnson & Johnson, is one of my challenges that I can't accurately track, for instance, the genuineness of a drug, so let me keep tabs on it using a blockchain technology. Or if I'm Maersk, which is a you know one of, one of the world's largest shipping companies, if I track containers, for instance, and customs and where things are happening in terms of each point and what's happening at each stage, that's where I can see the activity, but specific use cases as well. Once I do that, then I have to think about the ecosystem. You know, are my suppliers in a position to do this? Do they want to do it? Do they trust me? And do they have the infrastructure I have to help them? And then I have to get to a point and ask the question, well, what would it take to actually implement it, right? And, and there are a lot of you know, questions here. How do I source the new technology and the capability for doing it? It's so new. I can choose a number of different methods. I can do so internally. So, for instance, I can say, all right, let me build up a team that does blockchain. And that certainly makes sense to have control over it if you see it widely applied very, very quickly. I can say, hey, let me partner with another company that understands it really well. And there are a lot of new startups and tech companies out there um, which really do this kind of work. And that takes some of the risk off of me and I, I can try it on a small basis. And then finally, I can go and I can buy one of these firms to really acquire the in-house technology to do it and get the teams. Um, but that brings with it a lot of risk, you know, uh, especially at this early stage because you're actually paying and have to integrate and you're not sure where the technology is going. So it might be a little bit of an early bet there. Once you've done all that, you can implement it and roll it out. Honestly, I still recommend doing it in a phased fashion where you try a few use cases first, play with it a little bit, and then expand it if it works out for you. Well, given the list of potential pitfalls ahead for companies looking to implement the blockchain, what do you think if you had to pick a few things are some of the wrong ways that they are thinking about or implementing this technology? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Whenever you have something where there's a lot of excitement and maybe not as much understanding associated with it, the tendency is the fear of missing out phenomenon, right? So we see a lot of companies, if you just, if you just search under blockchain, uh, on the web, but especially if you go to a platform like LinkedIn, for instance, and just put that there, you will see so much out there just talking about blockchain, right? And managers, I think one of the biggest problems is people get enamored with the technology and don't think so much about this question of, do I really need it at this moment? And if so, how will I implement it? Am I even ready for it? And how much money will it cost? And what impact will it have on my partners as well, right? So these are some of the challenges that, uh, that we've seen. The other part is purely technical. So I'll give you another example. If you think about all these transactions taking place, somewhere you have to conduct these transactions. So from an energy efficiency point of view, there are arguments to be made that it's really inefficient at this moment. So that's another facet, right? Um, I think the other part is that people are not willing to try it. They're either going into it and just jumping into it very, very aggressively, or what they're doing is just waiting and seeing. None of those is really the right answer if you're a company that has a lot of transactions where you can easily do it, such as with your suppliers, right, and the infrastructure is ready. 
But instead, this trial and error, do a few things, that's there. And the final final pitfall or the uh, maybe misconception that I see is they think that blockchain as it is, is the be-all and end-all. And that's propagated by certain parties, and that's understandable. There are so many questions to be answered that I think it's really important to promote that. Right now, what you have is companies that are promoting, like the Ethereum standard, a lot of companies are promoting it, but it's really on the developer and the technical side. What we really need is coalitions of adopters of the technology who will then advocate for a standard that works, right? That's what we kind of saw in other areas like telecom too, and that will help them. So how will you follow up this research? What's next? This is very much the beginning. So uh, we have a number of things in mind. One is that we want to really get people's reactions to this. And, and as I mentioned, this is a very general primer at the moment. It's meant to tickle the interest of not just a CIO in a company, but the CEO and other general managers and get, give them a basic platform to have a conversation on. So what we plan to do is, as part of a larger fintech initiative, follow how transactions are changing. We're going to focus a little bit on the banking uh, industry first and see how that can potentially change, seeing that there are leapfrogging examples in different emerging markets. We might even have a conference on it, but certainly we're working on some, some papers in that area as well. And then we'll broaden it again to see the adoption. Um, and we have a few events lined up. So we'll have to stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Deborah. It's been a pleasure. You can find more insights from Knowledge of Wharton on our website, knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on iTunes. Thank you for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 